This is Language Made Difficult, an empathetic part of the SpecGram podcast. Welcome to our Linguistics Roundtable Telesymposium. I'm Trey Jones, and joining me today are the rest of the Ling Nerds, Sherry Wells-Jensen. Hi there. Keith Slater. Great to be with you. And Bill Sproul. Oh, hello. Aww. Aww. And also joining us on the program is Hedvig Hirgort. Yes. From the blog, Humans Who Read Grammars. Welcome, Hedvig. Thanks for visiting with us. Thank you for having me. Let's start off with some lies, damn lies, and linguistics. Our theme this time is reduce, reuse, and recycle. And I'm trying to reduce the amount of work I have to do. And I'm going to reuse lies, damn lies, and linguistics items that we've had in the past. Because you guys always <laughs> tell me I can do that. And we can't remember them and anyway. And you can't remember them anyway. And so we're going to recycle them and see how it goes. Oh, the shame. Yep. That's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> I've got three language-related items. Two are true and one is false. Sherry, one is false. Wait, one hey, is, is the false. truth is the truth or falsehood the same as it was last time? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which means that it's this exact statement, but not parts of it. Uh, the same fact, it may have been restated. Ah, restated, uh, not reanalyzed. No, no, I didn't retranscribe it from the last time. Mm -hmm. You guys have to figure out which is which, and after you make your overly educated guesses, we will discuss. Item number one, the Peruvian language Kapanahua uses multiple negation. So, for example, ha equals he, ha ma equals not he, ha mama is not not he, which is he indeed, and ha ma mama is not 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 he, meaning someone else. Item number two. Researcher Allison Arona found a correlation between a language's basic word order and the life expectancy and overall rate of technological progress. Item number three. The African languages Itsekiri and Okpe use different words during the day and night for certain terms like fire, firewood, and blood. All right, who'd like to go first? Did I go first last time? See, I think I could use that as information. <laughs> <laughs> like when you had these before. Did she go first when we used them before? These are all taken from different episodes. Uh-huh. Are they pre-Sherry? <laughs> Some of them might be. Are they pre-Keith? There is no pre-Keith. <laughs> so, Keith, since there is no pre-Keith, you can go first. What about proto-Keith? Is there a proto-Keith? All right. <laughs> the first one was uh, Peruvian language that uses multiple negation, correct? Yes. All languages use multiple negation. The details are just phonetic. That's probably true. Then there was one that had a correlation between the language's basic word order. I didn't understand this. A language's basic word order and life expectancy and overall rate of technological yeah. progress. Yes. There's a correlation between the language's basic word order and the life expectancy of the speakers and the rate of technological progress of the culture. So but we don't know what they controlled for. We okay. just know that well, there's a correlation. Right. Mm. Yes. There, there was. A, well, OK, I'll come back to that. And then the other one was use different words during the day or night for certain things. Right. So I think the third one is true. I don't think that it goes quite far enough. I mean, I presume that these languages also have different vocabularies for using when you're bored or when you're away from home or during childbirth or that sort of thing. So. <laughs> I'm going to say that was true, even though it's only partial. So I guess that the correlation one is the false one. Probably it was an inverse correlation with basic word order or some other computational trick that Trey is trying to pull on us. So I'm going to say that's the false one. Could it be inverse? Could no, that... that doesn't make any... Keith's not so good at math. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, the second one could be inverse. It's just a correlation. We don't know if it's... Yeah. So yeah. certain basic word orders correlate. So being SEO correlates with one thing and being... Well, there's, yes, correlates with something know, like, else. What Some mathematical trick you're playing here. So uh, <laughs> I think that's the false one. Okay. okay. I wouldn't understand it if I knew what it was. Okay. Who'd like to go next? I'll, I'll go do ahead. a go at it. The Peruvian language 
I'm willing to believe it uses multiple negation. I'm suspicious about it using multiplicative negation. That's something that grammarians usually make up to get revenge on their own culture. (laughs) The one about the correlation, I can believe because if they didn't correct for differences in numbers of languages in those different categories, you're going to get regression to the mean more with one than with the others. Or, you know, that's going to skew things. See, Bill so, doesn't do math either. But I have a sense of all the awful things that can happen, especially when you say the word correlation, which is kind of a demonic summoning ritual. <laughs> <laughs> Number three, I think those two African languages use different words all the time because they're different languages. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, yeah, it probably includes terms like fire, firewood, and blood. The chance of, you know, two different languages sharing those, unless they're just different dialects, yeah. So I'm going to say that number one's the false one. I would just like to clarify that number three, both of these languages have the feature of having pairs of day and night words for certain things. Like you can't change the data partway through. (laughs) Well, as long as you've already gone and gotten it wrong, I sure can. (laughs) Hedvig? All right. If I let Sherry go next, then I get to give you hints. <laughs> I think I, I I don't need hints. Okay, go for Wait it. Wait a minute. If she goes next, do I get the hints? No. Oh. <laughs> See, I want the guests to do well and I want the rest of them to lose. Oh. You could give her the hints if she goes next and I'll just take them too. Oh, that seems fair. Uh, no. Okay. Well, <laughs> so what I was thinking, so I actually used to work about uh, multiple negation and double negation and things like that. So first of all, I want to state that this is not what we usually mean when we say double negation, because that's a grammatical term for when you have more than one negator expressing standard negation. And this is the same negator being repeated and logically taking out each other. And this kind of multiple negation, a lot of languages can do this. This is not that weird. It's weird if that's the way you grammatically obligatorily always do this kind of thing. But it's not that weird. So I think that one's true. I think it's true of a lot of languages. The correlation one I also think is true simply because I don't know what they controlled for. So, you know, cultures that share shared history often share current socioeconomic characteristics. So if basic word order is shared among people, then other things are also. So like Indo-European languages might share the same basic word order and they might also have a, a higher living standard and things like that. Right. So I think that one's true. So I also used to work with African languages and I know which ones these are, but I don't know about this. But they're in Nigeria, I think. And I don't know. I could go either way on this one. But because this is the I'll say that that was false because I think the other ones seem more true. Okay. <laughs> so you've broken one of the big rules here, which is actually bringing real facts to the discussion. Oh. <laughs> Knowing Sorry. stuff is cheating. Knowing Good job. stuff is not cheating. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so much more interesting. <laughs> it is more interesting. But I know that there are languages with like funny tense systems where you get different tenses for the same day and yesterday, and you could also get them for like, I know, wait, wait, I know, I know a couple of languages that have um, during daytime tenses and things like that, I think. Hmm. So sure, that one could be... Okay, no, I'm saying the third one is false. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Sherry? 
Okay, so here's the thing. It is the age of the correlation. Everyone is finding correlations between what color socks you wear and what verb tense is your favorite. So I don't think that number two is necessarily true, but I'm quite certain that someone has said it. And so I'm going to pretend like it's true, right? I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. Okay, I like number three because I'm thinking about a language where maybe the word for firewood in the day is I don't need it very much. And the word for firewood at night is I can't find it at all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I yeah. think I can see the same thing with fire. You know, maybe it's I wish I had it and I don't need it. I can make up a story for that. I, I sort of like it. But that. what about blood? And what about blood? What I don't is that care. Coming out of my nose? Uh, there's a correlation between how they treat blood and how they treat firewood. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> because correlations, I'm all about that now. <laughs> so that leaves me with number one being false, partly because. I don't like the way Trey said ma 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 and pretend like it was really something that a human brain was going to do. I think that's the false one. I just don't I don't I don't like it. Okay. Mostly I'm saying number one cuz I don't like it. Okay. So I just wanted to let you guys know that I chose these based on the fact everybody missed them all out. <laughs> that you didn't like the true ones. <laughs> <laughs> and you did like the false ones. <laughs> Great. Yep. It wasn't random. <laughs> Let's see. Number 1. Uh, the Peruvian language, Kapanahua, which uses multiple negation. That one is true. <sighs> they do, in fact, use one for not he, two for he indeed, and three for someone else. What do you mean use? What do you mean use? Do you mean like really people really say that? Or do you mean like some field worker said, hey, what if I say ha, ma, 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 ma? What would that mean? <laughs> I'm impressed because usually in English or in Swedish, when we do that, when we say like, it was not, not him, that doesn't mean it was him indeed. Does it? I okay. don't know. I don't make it up. Well, except for the ones that I do. What I want to know is, is this language related to Nahuatl? Because its name is so similar, but it's spoken in Peru, far, far away from Nahuatl. I don't know. Nahuatl is spoken in Mexico, no? There is that kind of problem that if your orthography is Spanish and you're trying to spell wa. It just ends up looking like that. Right. Important question. I'm not cheating, but can I look up facts or is that also not? (laughs) (laughs) Not before you answer the questions. (laughs) No, but like now. Oh, sure. Item number three, the African languages with the different words for day and night for fire, firewood, and blood. That is also true. Woohoo! Oh. Oh. (laughs) Which means (laughs) that the one I made up was the correlation between the basic word order and life expectancy. I knew it was a trick. (laughs) I bet if I Google long enough, I can find someone that said that, though. Yeah, because it seems so similar to Keith Shen's economy and Mm -hmm. uh, future tense. Yep. Is that why you picked it? Because to fool us? Yeah, okay. No, actually, I think we used this one before that came out, before ah, that paper okay. was published. That we did. He used it back when we innocently thought no one would do anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. seemed so ridiculous sure? at the time. <laughs> Are you sure he doesn't listen to the podcast? And he thought, hey, I know what I'll do. <laughs> <laughs> he thought, I'll change my name to Allison Arona. Change his name from Allison Arona. So <laughs> from Allison Arona. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Hey, so I got it right. Yeah. You did. <laughs> I'm still in the basement, though. Uh, yeah. So the good news is you've <laughs> discourteously pulled ahead of the guests. Oh. <laughs> so oh, the guests fair. have 47%. But you caught up with Bill. You and Bill have 48%. Wow. Sherry's at 53 And I have moved ahead with 57 Because you got a point for fooling multiple people here, right? That is correct. How does it work for you? You just get a point whenever you feel like it. Pretty much. Because he does math, right? So he's allowed. Yeah, that's right. There's a correlation between his score and him making up the questions. There you go. There's a correlation between being Trey and getting a point. <laughs> <laughs> you notice it didn't say a significant correlation. <laughs> or an honest one. 
<laughs> if two people get it wrong, I get a point. Oh, yeah, that's it. Okay. Oh, all right. <laughs> oh, darn it. Just let your bitterness settle. <laughs> <laughs> so this means, you guys, that next time we do this, we must make sure that he doesn't get a point. I mean, for the good of the order. It's difficult to do, though. Okay, yeah. Two people have to get it wrong. <laughs> we need someone that does math to tell us what to do. <laughs> Trey, can you help us? Be smarter. <laughs> he also does not expect us to get persnickety about his phrasing. <laughs> it happens. Yeah. Sorry. Actually, I'll allow that. That was fair. <laughs> anyway, let the bitterness settle. And uh, before we hear a word from our sponsor, uh, Hedvig, why don't you say your name correctly once so uh, your friends and family will know it's really you on our show? <laughs> okay. My name is... Hedvig Kvilgård. And I'm Swedish, so you got pitch accent and you got our special sh sound and also a retroflex. Well, there's not that many vowels, but we've got plenty of vowels too. <laughs> According to my research of trying not to mangle your name too badly, mm -hmm. it seems like some people who probably don't speak Swedish have analyzed that sound as a simultaneous voiceless velar fricative and voiceless palatoalveolar sibilant, which is a IPA X and esh. But it doesn't sound at all like that to me, at least not when you say it. What do you think? So I've gotten this question a lot. And because I'm not a linguist that folks in Scandinavian language or Swedish, I kind of have a like backwards way around this. I'm, I'm a speaker more than a linguist about these things. But when I do it, it sounds like a, yeah, a palatovelar fricative sounds about right to me. Yeah, the back of my tongue goes up and yeah, it sounds like a <laughs> palatovelar fricative. I don't really know what the sibilant part, like how would that get into it? Yeah, that just doesn't really sound at all. Yeah. I, I don't hear this. There'd be a lot more energy behind an esh. Yeah. Do you want to hear a tongue twister? Sure. So I think next time, pronouncing that correctly will be one of the tasks to get a point. <laughs> what did it mean? What does it mean? It means seven seasick seamen on the sinking ship of Shanghai. So for Swedish people, it's not so much of a tongue twister because you just do the same sound over again. It's mainly a way of tormenting foreigners. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nice. You got to have that. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Hedvig, for hanging out with uh, me and the rest of the Ling Nerds. Yeah, thank you. And uh, we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Language Made Difficult is brought to you by whatever it is characteristically brought to you by. <laughs> Welcome back to Language Made Difficult. And I think I have to confess that I thought about writing a nice introduction to this next segment, and then I became afraid of doing it because I was pretty sure that some persnickety co-host of mine would mock me and would talk about which words I'd chosen and how I'd written it and what characteristic patterns of speech I was using that was really told that it was me talking. So I went around my house trying to get other people to write an introduction that I could read to this segment, and they didn't want to get involved at all. So, which, you know, I can't really blame them, especially after you hear what this is going to be about. So according to a recent Slate article, we each have a fondness for certain words. So I might discover that I use words like persnickety a lot, and maybe that becomes associated with me frequently enough that people would start to unconsciously or consciously, probably mostly unconsciously, associate that word with me. And then you might find out that depending on how attractive or how much you want to be like me or how much you think linguistics is cool or whatever, the people around me might decide that they're going to start using that word as well. And then the article goes on to explain that like a grumpy 13-year-old girl, I might then decide that you're all being copycats and I might stop using my special word because you're using my special word. And all of this linguistic dancing and parrying and going back and forth apparently happens without our knowing it, except that 
we can recognize it when people tell us that those are our words. So it made me wonder. So imagine that we had, which I hope that we don't, now that I'm starting to think of it, a transcript of these podcasts, right? <laughs> so that you can disregard that one of us that has funny vowels. And then you could disregard maybe the content as well. And you could, if you lift past the idea that if someone's telling a lie about grammar, it's probably Trey, right? <laughs> And if anyone mentions giant robots, well, you know which person that would be. But could you tell who is who by reading what we say? It didn't really talk a lot about the grammar, but probably idioms and particular lexical items that are characteristic to see which of us is speaking. So I am moderately suspicious of this. But at the same time, maybe my moderate suspicion comes from an anxiety that it's all very true. And I started to think maybe there is some word that I use all the time beyond ukulele. Maybe there is some word all the time that I use <laughs> that everyone will be like, yeah, that's, that's what it is. Ha ha. And they would all laugh. So this played right into many of my anxieties. So I decided not to write an introduction about it because it was making me super nervous. And I thought I would just ask you guys if you know each other's or your own secret words or characteristic words, and if you'd be willing to confess those. <laughs> I'm happy to go first. Go right ahead. Go. Okay. Yeah. Like Keith mentioned earlier, I did ask my family if they could think of any words that I tended to use more than other people. And the only example I got was linguistics. So I didn't think that was entirely fair. See, now I asked my family and my children said, well, let's see, uh, what do you say a lot? No, you can't play Minecraft. <laughs> the only specific word that my kids could come up with was, well, two, they came up with the, which I didn't think was very enlightening, and specgram, <laughs> which is more enlightening. And then my wife said, oh, what's that one word? What's that one word you use all the time? And I said, copacetic? And she said, yeah, that one. <laughs> so maybe I used that once in a while. I don't know. But go ahead, Trey. <laughs> So my family wasn't quite as helpful, but I actually know some of the things that I do because I occasionally try not to do them on purpose to hide my identity when writing in certain contexts. <laughs> so I know that I like the word folks instead of people. Mm. I have a tendency to start sentences or paragraphs with anyway or so or well. I'm very fond of two dot ellipses. <laughs> I know I use Q a lot. I used to use orthogonal and modulo more. But especially since we've talked about modulo on the show, I, I've almost completely stopped. <laughs> That's good. You've been cured. <laughs> I'm a little bit worried about you, Trey. I'm a little bit worried like you have a word cloud machine sort of following you around since you have this amount of information. Well, like I said, I, orthogonal and modulo, because we discussed modulo, and then orthogonal I've had to explain to people enough times that I realized that I'd said that. And I do still say stochastic too often when I'm talking about linguistics. <laughs> Another one that listeners to the podcast may not believe is true is that I start a lot of sentences with I think, and I actually edit those out. <laughs> because if I'm going to say something, I should just say it. But I, I tend to hedge. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You edit the podcast? Yes, of course. <laughs> you mean we're not just naturally this fluent and witty and we never say ridiculous things? I mean, that many ridiculous things? So um, if I were um, like um, to talk um, like this, what would you do? Um, leave it in because that was on purpose. <laughs> because it's Keith and not you, right? Yeah. <laughs> so how much smarter are you on the podcast than you are in real life? That's what I want to know. Uh, we're all about 25% smarter, yeah. 25%. Yeah. Yeah. Is that equally spread? Everyone gets 25%? Because that would be kind of great. And can you please start following me around and do that for me all the time? <laughs> 
somebody must be donating the 25%. Are we getting it from Bill? No, no. I just take the dumb out and the average goes up. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> so, Sherry, you do say ukulele a lot. <laughs> Another one you're good at is ooh. Ooh, ooh. yes. Sherry, ooh. you do say ooh. ooh. I think that's awfully or, persnickety of you to notice ooh. Well, again, I have to edit them. <laughs> <laughs> Do you take out the oohs also? I do not, but I have to make sure they're not too loud and they don't go on too long. <laughs> you shorten my oohs? No, I don't. I don't. <laughs> what about her ees and her ahs? <laughs> Just the oohs. <laughs> but since we're talking about it, Bill likes to say people and... He says archiphoneme, even out of context, just because I think he likes it. There is no out of context for that word. <laughs> and then another good billism is, that's a point. I'm not giving you two points for it. <laughs> he does say that. You're correct. Mm. And then Keith, you just sports words I either don't understand or feel compelled to pretend I don't understand, like zone defense and halo rule and fourth down conversion. Halo rule? <laughs> I'm pretty sure you've used all those in the podcast at some point. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Are you sure you don't edit those in? Because I think that's something else that you might do. Well, I just got him to say halo rule. So yeah. <laughs> now you can put it in the outtakes. Okay. But uh, I don't know any halo rules. So uh, I Isn't think that defamation may... of character to edit those in someone's speech. So now next time we're going to play a new game, lies, damn lies and editing. <laughs> oh, if I did that, I'd have a hundred percent. You'd all have zero. <laughs> So it I was occurred. not able to think of a lot of characteristic words, but I'm sure that I, I must have them, right? And since my family was no help, I guess it's up to you guys. I don't know. Well, you use the silent allomorph of wat a good bit. <laughs> hey, we can all tell it's there. <laughs> it's like Trey, once he weaned himself off of modulo, he kept putting in elided leptokurtosis everywhere. <laughs> that is my favorite. <laughs> but it was elided. You sure it wasn't just a trace? It was a two-dot ellipsis is what it was. <laughs> Every time he does one of those portentous pauses, it's there. <laughs> those also get edited out. So I have a question about the practical uses of this research. So this was called Fingerprint Words was the name of the Slate article. And Thank isn't this the kind of citations for me there, Keith? <laughs> well, I thought, you know. And Slate is very similar to Slater, so it must be a good publication. But uh, Ooh, there, there's another one for you. Is this the kind of thing somebody, what's her name, Rowling wrote a story under an assumed name and somebody did some computational shenanigans and came up with, oh, it must be her. Was it looking at word frequency or something or was it grammatical patterns or? Uh, stylometry. What? Stylometry, that is correct. What is stylometry? I mean, come on, that's a made up word. It's a made up word. Bill said it first, but since he's having a little trouble talking, I will <laughs> I will discuss it first. Yes, stylometry, you do analyze the text and try to find evidence of who the author is and mm -hmm. by looking at the style. Some of the simple stylometry, actually, one of the things that um, a lot of people use is just the frequency of function words mm -hmm. because you don't have very much conscious control over that. Mm -hmm. And so you can try to sound like someone else by, you know, going, hey, look at that ukulele archiphoneme. And, but it's the way you put the whole sentence together. There are a couple of different cases. One of them was Primary Colors, I believe. That was about uh, the Clintons. They discovered the author of that. It's been used on the last few Wizard of Oz books to figure out who the, the actual author was because th there were some that were written after Frank Elbaum died or were published after he died. Yeah, stylometry, but I don't think it uses these fingerprint words. Mm. Too much, though, obviously, if you have 
something that really sticks out, like you say copacetic once a paragraph or something like that, obviously that would stick out. But that's the kind of thing you would try to suppress if you were trying to hide your identity. If you were I aware. thought it was interesting to look at the social metrics. They were talking about if will people adopt your words or not? And it occurred to me that you could measure your social acceptance rating if you were a neurotic person and wanted to know that kind of fact about yourself. But when you enter a new group of people, just picking a new word, maybe you'd start to say, that's transformative and just see if it <laughs> caught on. And if it catches on, then you kind of know, right, that people are listening to you, at least unconsciously, and you're making your way in that community. But then if it doesn't catch on, then maybe you know nothing. You have to have some model of how hard a particular word is to catch on, mm -hmm. right? Because maybe transformative is going to be hard compared to awesome sauce, which might just naturally be more transmissible. I guess you could look at some kind of age noun. Um, <laughs> because awesome, awesome sauce sounds awfully hip and trendy. Mm -hmm. you know, but transformative sounds a little, doesn't sound quite as possible. I think this definitely happens in business speak. I mean, that's why where these weird things that we've complained about in other episodes come from is people caught, you know, somebody comes up with something for whatever reason and then it just gets copied around. It comes the word from evil. <laughs> <laughs> Good use of the voice, Bill. <laughs> Bill's a bit of a character actor today. <laughs> it occurred to me that I did see the word truthiness in a master's thesis where it should not have been. Not that there's any really good place for that word, really. But I thought, wow, where has this person been and where has she been hanging out with? If that word was all over, I don't know. She couldn't say truth. She had to say truthiness. She used it more than once. Wow. That word, though, is particularly apt for what it stands for. It's not like a lot of the buzzwords where there's a perfectly good word that already existed that could be used instead. You know, truthiness has nothing to do with whether it's true or not. Oh, I see. I mean, I think that's kind of a persnickety difference, isn't it? Well, I would think so. Do you know where the word comes from? No. Well, if it's, no, I don't. Okay. Well, it's Stephen Colbert on the Colbert oh. Report. Oh. And truthiness, I'll quote Wikipedia here, is a quality characterizing a truth that a person making an argument or assertion claims to know intuitively from the gut or because it feels right without regard to evidence, logic, intellectual examination, or facts. Is that actually the way it's used? That is the way that Stephen Colbert uses it, yeah. But I mean, anybody else like Sherry in the paper you not read? In the, no, not in that thesis. It was quite something. Different. It was different. <laughs> it was different. I wonder if that's a case of them using it with their friends and then just sort of that subtle shade of meaning kind of slipped away and just became a replacement for truth. And then they didn't notice that would be pretty extreme though. I think it's a case of academic words are supposed to be longer than regular words. And so we'll, we'll just put affixes on them. I think that's a very likely explanation. Oh, what if they heard it and didn't know the origin? Yeah. Right. 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 And they just, just assumed, assumed it was a high register word, an academic register word. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's terrible. If you say it enough times during the course of your thesis, I think it could add at least half a page. <laughs> wow. So, Bill, do you have any fingerprint words of yourself or others, particularly Keith? When I was hey. working on my dissertation, I was told by my supervisor that I was no longer allowed to use the word conjuries. <laughs> conjuries? <laughs> With C-O-N-G-E-R-I-E-S. Is that uh, like kanji? Well, it's kind of, kind of like kind of an, an amorphous collection of things. Not a rice mm. porridge. Yeah, Things I, have I, been conjured. Rice, yeah, it's pirate's porridge. I kept sneaking it in because I was, number one, I was wanting to talk about typological categories being messy. It works for that. But it was also a Lovecraft reference, which he didn't know. 
And of course you put those in your dissertation. How could you resist it? <laughs> you know, so typology and Yogg-Sothoth, I mean, they're obviously related. <laughs> he spotted that and it's like, you've used this word more than once, which means more than it should be used. <laughs> right? So, um, Very persnickety of him. As far as Keith's usage, he says field work a lot. Like That's true. He has experience with it. <laughs> Which is funny because I don't. <laughs> or hangs out with people who do. Possibly. <laughs> and likes them, right? See, that would yeah, there you go. He and likes, likes them. People. Some of he my best friends be like are field workers. <laughs> <laughs> and he says evidential a lot, even when you're not talking about evidentials. That's true. <laughs> it's this kind of, I'll work it into the context. It's not like archophoning that just you can put anywhere. <laughs> Archiphonium is always just popping up from underneath, isn't it? Right, right. I feel like that evidential thing is true, but I couldn't be sure. Sherry, <laughs> Sherry has repeatedly brought up the morphologically separated ish. Mm. Yes. You know? It's a good word. And I think she says cool more often. Oh. I'm not positive, though. Uh oh. Bill is good at counting things, though. Yeah. Uh-oh. I noticed I'm saying uh-oh and not ooh, because now... <laughs> I feel like if you think about this too long, you'll just become mute. <laughs> so have you ever done this to somebody? Have you ever identified a word that they use and sort of called them on it? Friends and I did that in high school. We would count. that We had a couple of different teachers who had some <laughs> characteristic word, and we would sit in the back and make tallies, you know, and mm-hmm. they found out about it from a, you know, roundabout way. They were very, became very self conscious <laughs> and acted in unusual ways. <laughs> it is true that when I lecture about both, this is not exactly that thing, but when I lecture about both hesitation, noises, fillers, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, see, speech errors, then every time I make one, I have to stop and explain whether it was a hesitation, noise, a filler, or a speech error, which makes you absolutely unable to get anywhere. <laughs> I, now I have to stop talking. This sort of famously came up with a novel named Changing Places by David Lodge, which has a linguist in it. He's got a fictional character who's a linguist. And what the linguist does is talk to this visiting literary figure and announce that he has analyzed all of the literary figure's work, and his most distinctive word is greasy, (laughs) after which the literary figure never publishes again. Because he can't stop thinking about it when he's trying to write. (laughs) I will admit that I did try to take your emails and see if I could pull out something useful quickly. I knew that you were going to do something (laughs) computational on your poor co-hosts. Innocent. It was was too hard to... I wouldn't go that far. Um, It was too hard to uh, gather sufficient data. So you didn't find anything? Um, Nothing that really, you know, once I saw it, really resonated. Other than Bill using people. But I already already had that one in my head. You knew that one. Mm. Yeah. But Keith, you're talking about doing this in, in high school to your teachers. A lot of people do it with uh, business people playing buzzword bingo. Mm-hmm. Right. There are places online you can go and they'll generate a random buzzword bingo card. Oh, you get the card. Yeah. Yeah. And you can actually sit there and try to you know get a bingo. Right. Because there are certain things that are just way too common. But I don't think it would have the effect that you described because a lot of business people are fairly shameless or perhaps have no introspection capabilities. <laughs> Not sure. I do think it's interesting how you tend not to notice your own fingerprint words, but then when you notice someone else's, they're either kind of endearing or really annoying. Mm-hmm. Right, right. 
<laughs> Though conjuries would be a little much, Bill. Because you either want to be like them or you or you want to not be like them, right? Well, I don't want to play ukulele, but I do think it's funny when Sherry talks about them. <laughs> in my defense, I was only using it in writing. <laughs> and it was in my dissertation, so it wasn't like many people were going to read it. That's true. I do know I have those things when I teach. I, when I'm trying to get my class's attention, I say exactly the same thing all the time. I did have a class once that called me Mr. Listen. <laughs> because... <laughs> I tend to say, and this was on a t-shirt once for me, okay, my people. <laughs> oh, mm. I got emails from Sherry's people for a while, which I thought was kind of nice, actually. <laughs> I used the rather depressing line, okay, you're free. <laughs> is that at the beginning of class no no <laughs> that is sort of depressing it's realistic oh. though well that sounds good and i will characteristically say whatever it is i characteristically say to end segments so there we go all right <laughs> which means i probably say so there we go quite a bit <laughs> now's the time when i would characteristically say and now a word from our sponsor Language Made Difficult is brought to you by humans who read grammars, not to be confused with computers. Welcome back to Language Made Difficult. Well, you know, if you're a faithful listener, that we often on this show have a segment we call Prescriptivist Confessions, where we talk about those niggling attitudes we have where actually deep down inside we're really prescriptivists, even though we wish that we weren't. Well, today we thought we would do kind of the opposite and talk about our descriptivist confessions. You know, what are those things that prescriptivists probably don't like? And we really do. And they're things that are just useful features that we have in our own language that, by golly, we're happy that they're there. So we thought we'd give you some of those examples today. Let's see if Trey has anything to share. <laughs> this is something that people who are extremely persnickety will get their knickers in a knot over. And that's claiming that something can't be very unique. They say that unique is either binary, it's on or off, and then anything else is illogical. A similar one is uh, you can't be a little bit pregnant, but you can. The idea of being very pregnant versus being a little bit pregnant does make sense. And, and people say it. You know, being very unique means that you have a lot of the property of what it is to be unique, which is a characteristic that is unlike that of any other. And so if you have uh, just a small variation that makes you sort of technically unique, that's very different from a wild variation that makes you very unique. And so other than, other than when we are telling children that they are all special, unique snowflakes, we don't really use the word that way, <laughs> that all unique is equal. You think it's normal that unique is a little bit or very or that it's gradated now? Yeah. I mean, it is true that it, there's some threshold that you have to cross to either be unique or not unique. But somebody who purposely dresses in formal business attire but rebels by wearing one cufflink instead of two, that is technically unique, but that is not the same as showing up to work in a clown costume. Right? It's not very unique. Yeah. Which would make you uh, very unique on your way to HR to have a discussion. <laughs> uh, unique was one of the fingerprint words of one of these high school teachers that we used to count. So he would say, so-and-so was a unique individual. Uh, uh, I don't think it was gradated to him. I don't think it was never very unique. You were just unique, but it turned out that everybody was unique, um, <laughs> which I guess is sort of true. <laughs> well, everybody worth discussing in a history class, sure. <laughs> I guess it's sort of true. The faceless masses don't come up that often. The thing I like that we've got in English that seems to really bother people is our morpheme break indicator. You know that I think people call it an apostrophe, but it's used to indicate that there's a morpheme break typically with any morpheme that has the orthographic shape S, right? It looks kind of random whether it appears or not when you have an S suffix on things, but uh, it's really just there to indicate that there's a morpheme break, right? Give an example. 
You use it for plurals of family names. So the, right. the Smiths are coming over, right? But you can also use it to mean this is the Smith's cat that I just ran over in the road. So it can be either one of those things. It seems to me that I have also seen it, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I've also seen it used to convert an acronym into an inflectable word. Yes. So like he was KO'd, capital K, capital O, apostrophe E-D, right? So that converts that. Yeah. So it's actually indicating two things. It's a morpheme break and also lexicalization. I agree. I use with just an apostrophe D. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I've seen it with an E-D. That doesn't bother me. It's just my yeah. personal preference. The software goes through QA and when it's mm-hmm. done, it's been QA'd. QA'd, right, right. Yeah. And, you know, people complain about this, but it's just orthographical linguistics. So, you know, hey, let's embrace it. Yep. We I, can I use it anytime minimal... you add a suffix. <laughs> I have a minimal pair for you, actually. So G-A-S is guess, but G-A apostrophe S means the plural of graduate assistant. Mm-hmm. I think no, I there you go. That's, the plural of graduate assistant is capital G, capital A, lowercase s. Without the apostrophe? Uh, you don't need apostrophes in there. There's a hot difference. You don't need them, but the language is more abundant when you've got them. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is prettier. The idea of putting them just because it's plural, that's going to lead to chaos. <laughs> Which is not the same as K-O apostrophe S, I would point out. <laughs> well, there's yeah. no morphine boundary there, so of course not. I'm sure some theorist has one. <laughs> <laughs> what about like for past tense? You don't like KO'd or? No, I just put on an ED in lowercase. So you symbolize your morpheme boundaries orthographically with capitalization or lack with acronyms. Of yeah, with acronyms. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry that yeah. your orthographic version of English is so impoverished, but <laughs> well, they are still necessary if you're pluralizing the letter grade A. I was just going to say that. Yes, exactly. You need yeah, that. Especially yeah, if it's at the beginning of a sentence. <laughs> or worse, B, because you don't want those both to be capitalized if, they're, if you're pluralizing B. Right. Although that is sometimes what I want to write, but I would not write that. You can't write BS. That's true. No, you cannot. I think that there would be a, some kind of a lawsuit if you did that. <laughs> All right, Bill. Then you're being inconsistent because no. if you use it for just single letters. You only use it you basically with things like acronyms and mention forms. You only use it when you absolutely have to. <laughs> so you don't use it to pluralize 1970 to make it the 1970s. And you oh, don't I use it. Numbers. It works there too. You don't right. use it on KO because no one's going to get confused about what that's the plural of. It's when it's, you can't tell the difference whether it's as or as that you have to use it. So then for T's, you wouldn't use it because that's not, T's isn't really a thing? The Chicago Manual of Style, may it rest in glory, says, <laughs> no, you don't have to. <laughs> so in the same paragraph, then you might talk about A's with an apostrophe and T's without an apostrophe? Yes. That's just wrong. <laughs> I need to double check, but yes, I would find a different way to do it. I would say several instances of T. Sure, sure. <laughs> That's always the cop out is just work around the problem. Several tokens. Because there are things that could be ambiguous to one person and not ambiguous to another. So if I saw JS, even if the J was capital and the S was lowercase, I might think that was JavaScript. 
Obviously, contextual clues would make that a little bit difficult. I would look at the rest of the paragraph. If other things were properly spelled and punctuated, I would rule out JavaScript. That is way too much cognitive energy directed toward JavaScript, if you're asking me. Well, see, I think this gets back to what Keith was saying. You just put the apostrophe. You don't have to worry about other people being confused. You don't have to think about what they're going to think about. A courtesy apostrophe, call it. There you go. That's what it is. It's an aid to processing for all of your readers. (laughs) Yeah. Real or imagined. (laughs) (laughs) For those who read too quickly, right? K-O-E-D might just look like a poor spelling of co-ed. Exactly. But that little apostrophe makes it clear that it's either KO'd or the name of the next main character in some science fiction TV show. (laughs) We won't get into sci-fi apostrophes. They're bad as (laughs) heavy metal umlauts. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> Heavy metal umlauts are good. I actually agree. Ukulele umlauts are marginal. Well, yeah. We have a heavy metal umlaut on our band name. I've noticed just, that. Just because just because it's a heavy metal umlaut, and we're the only ukulele group in the world that has one, I think. <laughs> I have a candidate for one of these descriptivist changes. I have taught composition a fair number of times, and one of the things I always have to do is... Take students who define terms by using the expressions is when or is where and tell them they're not allowed to do that in formal writing. And frankly, there's nothing weirder about doing it that way than there is about defining it several other ways. It's a standard kind of shibboleth. Mm -hmm. And so why can't we just officially declare that those are okay if purists start arguing about it, we as a collective field say, but it's showing that the students have an instinctive grasp of vectorial semantics. <laughs> and then we look at each other and nod convincingly. <laughs> and Sagacious. then make sure we arch our eyebrows when they keep arguing. <laughs> and if they ask about vectorial semantics, we get someone like Trey to tell them. <laughs> For an hour. I think we just call them persnickety and move on. (laughs) I think overly persnickety in that case. That's a perfectly reasonable thing to accept because the battle against it is just too hard. I think we just have to let it go. Rule against it is high persnickety. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Sherry? The one I have is I talk about Ghana all the time in my classes and teach my ESL students that Ghana is fine. But I think that what I like even better than Ghana is just uh, all the way from I'm going to down to uh. I really like I'm a. I'm, I'm a, a cook now. I'm a, I'm a, yeah. I'm a see you later. And I think I like it. And I've seen students write it. It's I courtesy apostrophe M. I suppose you could put another courtesy <laughs> apostrophe A if you wanted to. But just I'm a. It's, I think it's only fair that we reduce the future tense gets reduced down to one segment, just like the, you know, the past tense, right? And the present tense suffix. And we could move it. I don't know how people write it, but we could move it to the front of the verb if we wanted to. So it's, I'm a cook instead of I'm a, like, I suppose if you can't put the space in there because then it gets ambiguous between I'm a cook and mm-hmm. I'm a cook now. But I like I'm a. Especially if you get all the way to pronouncing it ama, so it's not super ambiguous. I think the prefix form for the verb is ana. Ana, ana go. I'm on a go. Like, I'm on a cook. Yeah. Do you think, do you need the, uh, do you need both syllables? I, I think there's multiple dialect variations. I think 
And I think there's another one that's just something like, I'm I'm going to go. But it depends on where you are. But some of you Southerners may have heard that. That feels Southern to me. Well, it's different than I'm a saying. What I'm a saying to you. That's different. That's that's my grandma talking right there. That's different. But I think there's, I'm going to go. And then there's, I'm going to go and I'm a go. I think those are all to be found in different places. It's got to be an isogloss shaped like a duck somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Flapping its wings. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm looking forward to see which of those wins. I mean, we've got a traditional spelling for gonna now, right? And pretty soon yep. going to is going to disappear because who's going to bother with that anymore? And then on the 50-year anniversary of Language Made Difficult, someone will say, do you guys know cool language fact? Do you know where gonna came from? <laughs> <laughs> but then the next step will be just uh, and yeah. people will say, do you know where uh came from? And no one will ever believe it. <laughs> Oh, then someone will try to reconstruct it from Will, which I think will be really funny. (laughs) Mm. All right. Well, I've got one more that I just recently discovered. And I find myself frequently correcting myself, especially writing emails, for failing to put a question mark in something that is structurally a question, but which I don't really feel like I'm asking a question. Like, don't you think he should go or something like that? Yeah. Or a classic example I was thinking of was, can you pass the salt? Yeah. Right. It, It gets a falling tone in speech. We should mark this pragmatics with a lack of a question mark. But I do it in other things, too. I, when I was talking to guests for the show, I emailed somebody and said, would you like to join us? It's not really a question. I mean, it's not an unpredictable request. It's just an explicit statement of the purpose of my email, right? I also do it when offering alternatives for something like, how about X or Y? Right? It's just the fewest number of words to get X and Y out there. Mm-hmm. And it just happens to be in the form of a question. And so <laughs> I don't put a question mark on it. And then I have to go, oh, yeah, that actually was a question. Because it feels like a statement. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it also gets the falling tone. So there's a phonological or an intonational marker there. So when you're inviting guests, do you get different response rates if you use the question mark or not? I don't know. I'd have to go and check and see how many times I failed to correct it. You do know WH questions also get falling intonation. You don't say, where did we park? <laughs> but the modals, they do. like Because they're still yes-no questions. That should get falling intonation, right? Can you open doors? Can you open that door? Or can you divide large numbers in your head? It's the yes-no questions that typically get the rising intonation. What? <laughs> yeah. You know, is that a capybara? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are the ones that get the rising. Yeah. Well, the falling intonation was on the, the example of can you pass the salt? You know, the whole point behind those, though, is you're making it polite by pretending it's a question. You take that off and you're abandoning the polite pretense. So you might as well say, you, salt, here. (laughs) Not just, yo, salt. (laughs) Or do I look like I'm on a salt-free diet, period, which I think would be that manages to break all the rules at the same time. (laughs) That one is, however, a question. No, that's more a witness my passive aggression. Witness it now. (laughs) Hmm. All right. Well, I guess that's all the time we have for Language Made Difficult. Join us next time when we will offer a simultaneous translation of the entire show into English. (laughs) Remember, hyperbole is awesome. He makes them all Uh up and then claims some of them are true. Something like that, yeah. Either one or two or three. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) How long have we been doing this? I don't know. You change it every time. (laughs) Tell me you don't. (laughs) (sighs) Never, ever, ever. I have limited brain space. But we're linguists, so we all suffered through a semester of phonetics so that we could try to do this stuff right. <laughs> so that we could feel bad about ourselves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> For the rest of our lives. <laughs> Hear guard. Hear guard. Hear guard.
Okay, Hugord. Gord. Hugord. 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 I'm the only one who has to actually say it, so shut up, Keith. <laughs> Beep. Beep, doop, boop, boop. Nicholas, I'm brilliant, yeah. <laughs> See, Trey, listen to her. Oh, I was just starting to like her, too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Keith wants to know where to send the drone. It's in subdiv phase. Dude, you sound terrible. It was just a little eerie the way he said subdiv. <laughs> It sounded like some kind of thing was going to happen next that was going to be scary. I've been trying to just shove it towards Grammarly because movie announcers do that all the time. So it was sort of like, in a world without voicing contrasts, you know, or that kind of thing. <laughs> I can't keep doing that for very long. But the cement pond. Yeah. <laughs> oh, for heaven's sakes. Now's the time when I would character. character blah, blah, blah. Now's the time when I would characteristically screw up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. North you betcha. Okay, people. Now, I know I was complaining about all the vaccines I had to take when you sent me places. And I know I wrote a complaint letter. But what was not supposed to happen is that they just stopped killing the vaccines. <laughs> okay. Yeah, HR made a point. I'm sure they're giggly. But it's not particularly fun. I'm Trey Jones. I can't say my own name. <laughs> I hate you people. Jones. Jones. All right, stop laughing. Stop laughing. And the life expectancy and overall rate of technological process of the culture that the language belongs to. Progress. Yeah. Say it again. Progress. Did you not like how I said it? You said process. Yeah, you did. <sighs> we'll fix it in post. Not, not, not before you answer the questions. <laughs> you cannot, not, not look up. Hey, hey. Leave my stutter <laughs> hey. out of this. Even if you say it for a minute, if you say it, and I didn't ask who wants to go first. Let's see if Trey has anything to share. <laughs> Trey's always ready to go first, but I want to let other people have a chance. We have a heavy little heavy. I can't even say heavy metal. The, 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 that's all, folks. 